0: This episode of the Big 5D podcast is brought to you by MatchCraft, a global ad tech platform managing digital marketing campaigns for partners around the globe. Its latest initiative is Powered By. This utilizes MatchCraft's suite of APIs, allowing third-party platforms to gain access to the technology used by its flagship Advantage platform. This powers search, social, and display campaigns for local businesses around the globe visit them at matchcraft.com for details that's matchcraft.com hey everyone and welcome to the big 5d podcast i'm charles Lachlan, and i'm content director for big five digital so we've uh, taken a bit of a hiatus from the podcast over the past couple of months but today we're back with a great one we've got zach george who's managing partner for Launch Africa Ventures. This is an African venture firm investing in early stage African tech companies across a variety of sectors. That includes FinTech, HealthTech, Logistics, EdTech, and a bunch more. Some of the firm's more prominent investments, some companies you may have heard of, include CUDA, WorkPay, Market MarketForce, Zindi, and many, many more. A lot of really exciting companies uh, across the African continent that they've made early stage investments in. And Zach is uh, the lead, the leader of that initiative. So as with any venture firm, they've also had a few misses. Uh, and one of them is Kune Food, which we've written about extensively um, at the SMME Tech Report, which is our companion newsletter to this podcast. And that's a Kenyan food tech firm uh, that ceased operation early this year after kind of a tumultuous one-year uh, tenure. We don't really talk about this on the podcast because uh, Zach and I actually had a long conversation about it uh, when the when the company shut down, which I included in the write-up I did in the newsletter. So if you want to learn about that story, go back to the newsletter we kind of talk about more forward-looking things uh, on the podcast. Any anyway, rate, so uh, please check out our newsletter and please subscribe. As far as this conversation goes, we talked to Zach about everything you know kind of from his background what led him into venture capital. Uh, and we really talk, spent a lot of time talking about the current market conditions in venture funding for tech startups in Africa. Uh, and they're specifically focused on B2B, which Big Five Digital also is focused on B2B. So we really uh, drilled down on that and what the conditions are in the market for that. Talked about you know how startups should be adapting to the current environment, kind of what his th- the investment thesis is, what he likes to invest in, what sectors he's excited about, and so on. So it's a really great interview. I think it's one of the best ones we've done in a while, and so I'm excited to share it with you. Before we get into it, I want to talk a little bit about what we've got coming up with Big Five Digital. We have announced our dates for the Big Five Digital Summit, our Big Five Summit for 2023, which takes place in Cape Town. March 14th through 16th at the Radisson Blue Waterfront. So please diarize those dates and we'll have a lot of announcements coming up soon uh, regarding speakers and sponsors and and so on. But if you're interested in getting involved with this event, whether it's a speaker a sponsor, both, um, or just interested in learning more about it, feel free to write to me. Just write to us at info at big5digital.org. That's big5digital.org and tell us what you want to talk about regarding the event. And, and we'll get back to you uh, We want it to be very inclusive. We want early stage companies. We want corporates. We want companies in between. We want investors. We want some SMMEs to speak to us directly. Um, the event is actually not specifically for SMMEs. It's more for the ecosystem supporting small business, but small business are a welcome uh, addition to the, event as well so please reach out to us to talk to us about the big five summit we're very excited to get you involved let's move on to our interview with zach and thanks for joining us and thanks for supporting us here we go
1: zach welcome to the podcast thank you thank you charles good to be here to be here
0: yeah it's great to have you so uh launch africa ventures i think a lot of folks who uh, listen to us are familiar with you guys uh, and familiar with you, but just if you could do two things very quickly before we dig into some, some topics. One, a little bit about your background, kind of where you came from and what led you into the venture world, and then quickly on, uh, after that, quickly on your, your your firm and what its basic raison d'etre is, uh, and, and that sort
1: of thing. Yeah, Sure. Yeah, I mean, so like, I mean, um, quite a few folks here may know a bit about my background. I've done quite a few of these in the past, but just to sort of recap, um, I spent most of my career in investment banking. I used to work on Wall Street for two big firms, Lehman Brothers and Barclays, Um, got my master's from Stanford about 16, 17 years ago, and uh, moved to South Africa from New York City in 2010, almost on a complete coincidence to watch the World Cup in 2010, the soccer World Cup. It's never left. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was quite, it was quite something. It was, it was a, a five week holiday or five to six week holiday that turned into a 12 year holiday. Uh, okay. <laughs> but um, the reality was in 2010, outside of the World Cup being in South Africa, there was also very little, um, focus on entrepreneurship venture or, or anything tech or tech related um, mm-hmm. South Africa and and the African continent as a whole was pretty much looked at as a um, as a store of value from a you know minerals mining manufacturing right. uh, it was it, it was raw materials right there was commodities. Very of, yeah it was oil and gas power energy minerals that, 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 that was about it. Um, African private equity was probably about 10 to 15 years old in that respect, but venture capital as an asset class just did not exist. Um, So in 2010, when I moved here, I decided that there was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty entrepreneurial in the way I think, and I decided that I would explore that itch further. So I spent the next three to four years Um, working as a consultant to large telcos, banks, and insurers, helping them better appreciate the innovation coming out of SMEs. I mean, I wouldn't even call them startups at the time. I mean, SMEs uh, have very different characteristics to startups. But um, And after doing that for a few years, I set up the first venture building studio, uh, which became the first accelerator in Africa. It was called Barclays Rise. Uh, which morphed into tech stores in um, 2016. But in 2015, we ran the first accelerator in Africa, and it was the first time that fintechs on the African continent could find, uh, call it a sponsor bank, at the time Barclays, which used to own 60 odd percent of, uh, of ABSA. And it was the first time that you saw the proliferation of POCs, pilots, and commercial agreements between a large financial institution and a whole bunch of fintechs. Um, That went on really well. In 2017, we launched Startup Bootcamp, which is one of the world's largest accelerators for B2B startups. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've got a huge presence in Europe and Asia. And then myself and my co-founder, Philip, we, we launched Startup Bootcamp in Africa. It uh, was, uh, was a pretty tough ask, uh, task, sorry. Um, so we ran three cohorts over three years, 2017 to 2019, we looked at more than 4,000 startups and we picked 30, so hmm. 10 a cohort over three years. Several of those companies are now worth significant amounts of money. The biggest success story is a bank called Cuda Bank, uh, the largest digital bank, uh, challenger slash neobank in Africa, um, several fintechs um, that are now doing exceptionally well: Akiva, Digital, Rentosa, Curacel. So, but essentially, it was the first time that corporate Africa, uh, represented by telcos, banks, retailers, and insurance companies, went through a structured program where they worked in a non-competitive manner with startups all across Africa, and that was that was beautiful to see and 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 uh, watch in, in in real time. That accelerator currently has an IRR and of, of north of a hundred percent, which is pretty crazy. But given, you know, I mean, that's 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 the benefit of of building companies from scratch through an incubator or an accelerator is you get to get in at very attractive valuations, right. and uh, the moment companies, you know, start. You Generate fifty to one hundred thousand dollars in monthly revenue. and are doing the Series A and Series B rounds, you're making a huge return because of the valuation arbitrage. Right. Um, and then two, just over two years ago, I launched um, a fund which is now the most, probably the most prolific and active venture capital fund on the whole of Africa. It's called Launch Africa. Uh, We specialize in pre-seed, seed seed, and pre-series A investments. So typical, you know, check sizes of up to $300,000, but valuations ranging roughly between a million to $10 million and companies are doing between $20,000 and $50,000 in in revenue, Uh, but across multiple sectors, but they have to be tech or tech enabled and they have to have a B two B or a B two B to C business model, um, and we've now, as of the last two years since we started, we've done almost one hundred twenty deals across twenty different African countries. So we're by far um, the most active early stage VC fund of the continent, and we're um, and we're busy prepping for the launch of our second fund early next year.
0: Right now, I, I've reviewed, you know, your portfolio. There's a lot of uh, names I'm familiar with. I think a lot of names that are pretty well known. But could you? I, I know you never want to favor one child over the other, but who, what would you say are some of the big successes that came out? Came out of to Africa. What the people may know that you would highlight as uh, some of your bigger, bigger stars.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had. Um... I mean, the 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 the, um, the good thing about our fund is, you know, it's 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 a very diverse fund. We do multiple sectors, multiple products, and it's uh, you know, although it is although it is very hard to pick winners, uh, I mean, uh, or rather choose between your children for you know for lack of a better word, um, we do look for companies that are able to expand into multiple markets. Uh, within graphic markets or geographically, uh, within twelve to eighteen months of our investment. So, if we're backing you at your seed round, and you're doing a series A within eighteen months, and if you are, let's say, in Uganda when we backed you, and that was your core market, we'd expect you to be in at least a couple of other right. East African countries or you know comparable countries within within 12 to 18 months of our investment. Because the reality is, you know, scaling a startup is very different from scaling an SME. Um, most businesses at back have a subscription revenue model, a software as a service model, or a transaction revenue model. So you don't typically need, um, you know, the concept of borders as a boundary to your scaling is not really a tech thing. If, especially if you're solving a problem for an end consumer, but using a corporate as a distribution channel. So, right. I mean, this you know, you know, if you're a streaming, if 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 you're a video streaming company, or you're an e-commerce company, it doesn't matter if you're selling in Uganda, Rwanda, or South Africa. Right. If customer wants something. You you got a piece of tech that can solve that problem. Boundaries are, you know, boundaries are political. You know, right. tech tech scales beyond that. Right. So. So the only exception we make is unless your initial home market is a country like Nigeria or Egypt, where you have 200 and 100 million people plus respectively, um, anywhere else, you really need to be in multiple markets, right? So so some of our top portfolio companies have a dominating position in a big market in Africa, for example, uh, one of our top portfolio companies is a company called Afreex, uh A-F-R-I-E-X. They went through Y Combinator in 2020, and then we backed them right after YC. They do remittances between Nigeria and Ghana uh, and the U.S. and the U.K. and now parts of Europe. But they use stable coins, um, okay. USDC and USDC. They transact, you know, between seven and $10 million every month, and they make a pretty nice transaction fee. Um, and it solves a real problem you know, of financial inclusion. Um, the one thing I'll say about investing in early stage African technology ventures is, you will never be in a situation if you invest wisely, where you're putting money to work into problems that don't exist, right? So right. I call them need to have versus nice to have. Like you know, no one's no one's you know here funding, you know, <laughs> um, you know drones that deliver smoothies to high-rise buildings. Or, <laughs> like you know, that sounds really thing.
0: cool, but yeah, probably not. Yeah, a- it
1: sounds pretty cool in you know in San Francisco, but certainly not in yeah. Lagos, right? So I'd rather you know invest in companies that that that. You know, that use drones to deliver ARVs to parts of the continent that, you know, that can't be reached by cars, buses, trains and flights. Right. So you're solving real world problems with tech, which is an effective substitute for aid and foundation money, which has plagued the continent for the last you know, century almost, or at least post the end of colonialism in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So some of the companies, so Africa is one of them, it's remittances. Another one is, you know, transportation. So, I mean, we have backed um, a very prominent super app in Francophone West Africa. They're called Gozem, GOZE. Right, I'm familiar with them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're very similar to Grab and Gojek in Indonesia, but they operate in Francophone Africa, they're the market leader, so we backed them at C, we backed them at Series A, and they're now at, you know, Series B, and, you know, they're doing exceptionally well. Um, yeah. We've got so many companies that I can speak of, yeah. I mean, Let me ask a,
0: a question, The um, I was going to ask sort of how important is impact in your decision to back a company but you kind of answered it a moment ago when you said that it's sort of de facto right it kind of most of the, most of the yeah leaders,
1: yeah yeah i'm not i'm not the right person to be you know going off on a tangent about how important impact is because there's a lot of there's this concept called uh what's it, what's the technical word for it i think it's called impact washing or yeah no i i i do washing or something I, yeah like like yeah. greenwashing
0: but the, the greenwashing same thing. Yeah, i yeah. mean
1: honestly if 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 you're using tech to solve problems in education healthcare agriculture food and water security or transportation i mean you're going to create an impact irrespective of right. you know you calling yourself an impact fund so i mean just you know if you look at our so we've we've invested in in almost 120 companies um, the the vast majority of those companies when we backed them had less than 10 employees Mm-hmm. The vast majority. Um, the average number of jobs amongst our portfolio companies right now is north of thirty-three zero, right? Averages. I mean, obviously, right. lots of extremes, right? I mean, Kuda Bank has hundreds of employees as an right. example. Right? So, and then and then you mustn't always also forget the indirect jobs. So, I mean, I, I mentioned Gozem earlier, right? Gozem is a super app that does ride hailing, e-commerce, food delivery and has its own wallet. But, you know, thanks to Gozem, there are, you know, 10s of 1000s of drivers um, that aren't employed by Gozem, but work with them as partners. You know, and I mean, if the moment you sort of adding all of that up, that's massive, massive impact. And Gozem doesn't does not claim to be a certain enterprise, they're a for profit enterprise, but they create massive impact in the ecosystem. Healthcare is another um, aspect or field that needs a lot of attention. And the one thing I will say, Charles, is we uh, we try and stay away from businesses that require a lot of upfront capex and asset financing because it just makes it uh, very hard. I mean, like you cannot use equity capital, which is by far the highest risk, to fund um, assets or capex. I mean, that's that is the domain and privy of Um, working capital financiers, and low-cost debt providers, right? So as an equity holder taking on the most amount of risk, if you're on the cap table and if you've got seven other folks, senior debt, sub-debt, MES debt, convertible debts, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's pretty messy. So we try and stay away from high asset financing that would be like manufacturing or is that an example or? or... Yeah, we wouldn't do. I mean, it's, it's not that we wouldn't do hardware. If we do yeah. hardware, there would have to be a software component to it. So a good example is a company we backed almost 18 months ago. In fact, more than 18 months ago, uh, almost two years ago in, um, in Nigeria, run by three Yale PhDs. Um, it's a company called Orexol, and they have a mobile spectrometer. It's a hardware device that they right. manufacture that's used to determine fraudulent fake drugs um, <laughs> okay. medical drugs, right? So someone gives you a batch of, let's say doxycycline, which is a malaria medication that people use all over the world, right? Um, you know, if you've got a higher percentage of protein or water or or you know a stabilizer versus what, you know, the actual uh, amount of, uh, you know, the actual medicine, the, the, the what's it called, uh, quinine, quinone, whatever. Right. Um, you know, you can fake a barcode, you can fake uh, a QR code, but you can't fake chemistry. Right. So they would actually use mobile spectrometers. So literally passing UV radiation through it. And if, if the spectrum coming out does not match what's written on the tin, then you've got a problem, and then that data is then sold to pharmacies. Pharmacies pay us a, a monthly subscription to, to access quality vetted drugs that are that are Rxol certified. So that's a great example of a hardware company at first that's actually generating significantly more money from its subscription, aka software. Right. So
0: the data is the problem.
1: And, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah yeah yeah. So that's yeah. Okay. So let let's switch gears a little bit. Um one of the things that's kind of in the news a lot now is, you know, it's sort of the global situation with uh, venture funding for tech companies, we sort of all know what that is. It's you know. There's been that quick pivot from grow at all costs to make money today, you know, that thing that happens when when markets uh, hit the hit hit the brakes. Um, yeah. But the, the, the narrative in Africa is that Africa hasn't been impacted by this. I'm wondering what your take on that is, whether that's a lagging effect or whether Africa is just different. Could you talk? You have some thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: listen, I've been, I've been asked this question more than anything else in the last three months. So, <laughs> yeah, so here's, here's my take on it. So Africa is still massively underfunded from a VC standpoint, right? Massively. So Africa accounts for about, I mean, I've, I've, I've said this so many times uh, before, Africa accounts for about 20% of the world's population, about 7% of the world's GDP and less than 1% of the world's venture capital. So there's, you know, it's compounded arbitrage to use a fancy word, right? So there's, you know, so, you know, <sighs> Five to five and a half billion dollars of venture out of a 650 billion dollar venture industry last year is shocking. So, as much as people like myself that are, you know, a big part of the venture industry in Africa are super happy that it's grown by, you know, 2x or 3x, it's still, you know, a drop in the ocean. So, if anything, I feel that, you know, I wouldn't say Africa is counter cyclical, but when you see a global lull in venture, that money is not suddenly disappearing into the ether and just sitting in bank accounts on the mattresses. It, it's going to go into parts of the world where there's the biggest need. And, and, and the reality is, Africa has the world's youngest population, right? The average, the average African is 18 years old. 18. The Brad, average American, man. I, think, yeah. I mean, the average American is like 39, the average European is like 45, right. right? We have the youngest population, we have the fastest growing population, let's not forget that. We have the population with the fastest increase in internet penetration, by far the fastest increase in smartphones, and the fastest drop in cost of data, right? So in in, in, in at, at the turn of the century, in the year 2000, there were more mobile phones. Uh, so there were more smartphones in New York City than the whole of Africa, right? Let's just sit for a second. And 20 years later in 2020, there are more smartphones in Africa than the whole of the U.S., right? So in 20 years, there's been this massive transformation. And people forget that. We are now increasingly in a consumer-driven world than a producer-driven world. So if consumption is everything, I mean, let's you know, we have to thank Uber and Airbnb and the gig economy for this 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 gradual decentralization of assets and the the um, less of a of a focus on ownership. People don't want to own things anymore. They want to just use and rent and et cetera, et cetera. So you have this, this African consumer, 1.4 billion Africans that are consuming a lot more, and ultimately they become the biggest recipients of innovation in tech. So any innovation that is, and this is interesting, Charles, is because innovation coming out of, and I've seen this as as as, as a venture capitalist in Africa is a lot of European, American, and Asian startups are now saying, Hey, where are my next Million customers, and they're like, It's not in Europe, it's not in maybe in Asia, certainly not in the US. And they're increasingly looking at Latin America and sub Saharan Africa, or just Africa as a whole. And then we're saying, Cool, if the consumers are here, why don't we start building things on the continent? Right? So, you're going to see a big uptick, I feel, in um, in in. In, the, in 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 VC activity in Africa because you're solving real world problems and the purchasing power of people has really gone up here. So this, you know, the 1.4 billion people in Africa are suddenly a much more lucrative audience from a pure, selfish consumer perspective than the 1.4 billion people in China and India.
0: Right. Well, I was just writing last week about a company called Minka. It's based in Colombia. That uh, it's, it's seeing Africa as its next, area for expansion because they're building products there that they feel kind of solve a similar problem for a similar population in terms of financial inclusion and, you know, tech adoption, et cetera. So I think we'll probably see, you know, Asian companies and Latin American companies not looking to North America necessarily to expand, but perhaps to Africa because they're building products for a similar population and, and a similar set of characteristics and they're solving similar problems. So that may be something we'll see a bit more of um, shifting gears again a little bit the uh, so kind of you, you made a case that um, Africa may be in a sense a beneficiary or certainly not a, a loser in, in the in the current yeah. environment for, for, for venture uh, funding but is there a short-term concern with issues like inflation and global recession inside of that, that that affect your companies and how are you advising your companies to sort of Say, you know, uh, condition themselves for what's coming or what's already here.
1: Yeah, listen, I'd, I'd I'd be I'd be lying if I if I didn't say that you know there was or there is a tightening of the belts and people are being a bit more cautious about how they're spending money and mm-hmm. you know the, the, this whole idea during the course of last year where it was grow at all costs and let's not worry about profitability and you know we'll build yeah. stuff and people will keep buying it. It was, I mean, it, I mean, having gone through the 08 recession myself as an investment banker in New York City, for Lehman Brothers, I oh, know yeah. what it's like. Mean, you saw it all. Yeah, so, so, so if, 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 if there's anyone that knows how to do with this, it's probably myself. But um, the reality is um, there was a little bit of, you know, I wouldn't go down and, you know, go as, as far as Alan Greenspan's irrational exuberance, but there was a little bit of it the, this past year. Um, where startups were raising valuations at pretty pretty rich multiples. I mean, not just raising money. Acquisitions were happening last year in Africa at north of twenty times ARR annual recurring revenue, which is pretty pretty rich. So I think there's been a there's been a, a pullback on that to more realistic numbers, so depending on you know, whether you're a B two B enterprise SaaS company or you're you know uh, a B two C e commerce company you know, valuation multiples have gone, have, have started to go back or regress to where they should be, um, you know, right. anywhere from, you know, two times revenue to 10 times revenue. But, But, you know, the reality is we've been telling a lot of our portfolio companies, make sure that you always at any given point, have 12 months of runway, at least 12 months of runway, right? And if that means you know that doesn't mean you suddenly go out and start laying off staff because you don't want to lose talent, but you want to make sure that you incentivize staff enough. So maybe, you know, uh, reducing your fat in your team, but incentivizing them with uh, with long-term incentives. So uh, a bigger part of their compensation is in ESOPs or you know long-term incentives. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, people did this effectively, quite effectively during COVID. Right you know? Um, so it, it's that preserving cash, m- making sure that you can sign longer contracts. If you have B2B uh, business models, offering discounts to your corporate clients, um, for committing to large, you know, to long term contracts, especially if you're working with insurers and telcos say, Hey, let's do a pilot and you commit to two years and we'll give you a you know, we will give you 20% off or whatever. So you've got to be innovative in the way you look at contracting with your clients better terms with your suppliers um, so yeah I mean you know it, it is it is a season to be to be to be cautious and prudent um, and also uh, from from a fundraising perspective don't uh, don't raise a ton of money at you know when when valuations are at uh, you know I wouldn't say historical lows but at seasonal lows I was, yeah. um, I was gonna ask you, you know we're are we
0: gonna start seeing a lot of, are a lot of these exuberant uh, raises from last year are going to lead to down rounds this year.
1: Yeah, I mean that is that is a real threat. Um, you know, uh, luckily a lot of a lot of uh, pre-series A raises were done on safes, mm-hmm. so you know, just you know, you'll see a lot more companies not do price rounds, um, especially in the next sort of, I would say, the next two or three quarters. Mm-hmm. You know. The good thing about a safe note or a kiss note or a seat fast, whatever you want to call them, depending, depending on the on the jurisdiction you, you, you're raising in, is you can defer, you can, you know, you can kick the can down the road and do a price round, you know, sometime in Q1 or Q2 next year, and just raise convertible notes or safes and just modify your cap and make sure you don't raise more than you need um you know we used to tell our portfolio companies a couple of years ago raise for 18 to 24 months of runway but you know in a market like this you'd say you know be be cautious about how much you raise i mean raise for 12 months of runway and prove that you can meet your kpis that that is sort of the um um you know the 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 broad call to a lot of our portfolio companies is if you said you were, you were gonna achieve X by the end of this year, do raise just enough money to make sure that you can in fact achieve X or maybe do 20% more than X, right? Don't worry about having 24 months of runway, have 12 months of runway, don't raise too much because you can always raise more at a much higher valuation once the market gets better. And I mean, in, 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 in these sorts of markets, traction trumps everything. Right. right and what's interesting about markets like this Charles is this is also an incredibly good market for M&A so you can separate the wheat from the chaff right so you'll get a lot of good fintechs or good e-commerce companies that have the numbers that can use as an opportunity to say hey I can buy you know a few other smaller tech startups for pennies in the dollar and there's no better time to do it than than, than right now. So, I mean, you're going to see a lot of consolidation happening in the textile space in Africa in the next sort of 1824. Yeah, yeah, I was
0: curious about that because I, um, I mean, the question I was going to ask, which would probably lead to that answer was, are there too many of X sector, you know, again, resulting from sort of that uh, mod, uh, modest level of irrational exuberance you described. Um yeah, no, fintechs, too, you know, in the sense that yeah, you know, that, is that going to drive some of the m that, that there was a bit of an over uh, expand, or over seeding of a certain category, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I reckon there was in certain categories. Yes, uh, it was, you know, the the flavor of the month to be, you know, a payments provider in Nigeria, like what eighteen months ago, right? Uh, or to do digital unsecured lending in uh, in Kenya or to be a payday lender in South Africa, right. right? You had this explosion of, you know, half a dozen to a dozen startups within a particular mm-hmm. niche subsector. And maybe there was, you know, it was it was a bit too much, but, you know, you're going to say, uh, you're going to see a gradual, so, I mean, so he who has, he or she who has the most amount of runway and cash flow, um will will you know will have the opportunity of doing strategic acquisitions. And by the way, a lot of these acquisitions don't need to be cash acquisitions. Uh, a lot of them will be stock. Mm-hmm. And although stock is not going to pay your school fees, um, literally, um, you know st- uh, you know, a smart long-term founder would prioritize, you know, let's say a 50% cash, 50% stock acquisition, over a hundred percent cash acquisition any day, right? right. I mean, if well, you look at what giving yourself the, some upside there, you know, potentially yeah, and I mean uh, the thing about so I mean I'm sure you've heard this term before horizontal MA versus vertical MA. Horizontal MA is when a larger tech startup buys a smaller tech startup. A right. good example of that was Stripe's acquisition of PayStack, right? When when Stripe bought PayStack for $200 dollars about you know two years ago. It was, you know, from what I recall, it was a fifty percent stock, fifty percent cash acquisition, and you know the 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 market value of Paystack went up significantly in the following eighteen months. So, in effect, you know, it was significantly more than a two hundred million dollar acquisition, right? So, Perfect. if you, you know, if I would uh, as a, as a founder of a small early stage startup, irrespective of sector. I'd prioritize being acquired by a much more prominent later stage startup, a series C or a series D startup versus a telco or a bank buying me just because they want my customers or my tech. So I want to wrap up with just kind of a lightning
0: round of quick answers to a few questions, if that works for you. Um, So what sectors next 18 months are you most excited about? To listen to the full episode, consider becoming a subscriber To Big 5D podcast on Substack. You can find it at ctlaughlin.substack.com. That's c-t-l-a-u-g-h-l-i-n .substack.com. Thank you.